Welcome to Everyone a Changemaker, where we interview the world's leading social entrepreneurs on their journey towards creating social impact and systemic change. Tune in and discover innovative solutions for the most pressing challenges that we face today. Brought to you by Ashoka Innovators for the Public. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everyone a Changemaker, where we talk to India's leading social entrepreneurs and learn about their stories and work. Today, we're with Jasmine Pateja, who runs Lightmise. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Upasna. Thanks so much for bringing me into this podcast. I'm delighted to be here and to contribute to Ashoka's Changemaker podcast series. Thank you. Jasmine, thanks for joining us. Could you just start by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and about Black Noise? Uh, my name is Jasmine. I'm an artist, an artist working to end gender-based violence, an artist working and mobilizing towards the right for all women, all persons to be defenseless, to not just be free from fear, but defenseless. And we believe that the state of defenselessness in the body is our birthright, where we as women for too long have been trained to be careful. As girls, we were raised to be careful, to protect ourselves. And we become bodies of defense. We become bodies in defense and defense shapes our bodies. And we have a right to be so much more than that. We have the right to go beyond having to defend ourselves, that we're done defending. So what Blank Noise does and has been doing for now nearly 20 years is it's built completely by volunteers and by volunteers, not in the traditional sense, but the fact that every human being has the ability to build a safe space, to co-create that safe space. Every one of us carries that power and has that capacity. So we work with a community, with a growing community to ignite that potential in people to say, and that is really very much like everybody's a change maker. So we use the term or we name our identity as the action shiro, the action hero, the action dero. So we call in persons to become, you know, or citizens and individuals to step into that power and take that position of the action shiro, hero, dero. We build testimonials of gender-based violence. Then we learn to listen to these testimonials of gender-based violence because listening is essential for social change. Listening inspires ideas for what we deserve, what we believe we deserve. So listening inspires imagination. So we have to, again, go beyond defending even in even in the way we imagine social change and that's what I as an artist also believe in that you know that's artists can facilitate collective imagination and how else do we address gender-based violence from saying no to also saying what is that I'm asking for and what is it that I wish for and I dream of and how can it become a real shared dream so yeah so I'm kind of combining a little bit between me as an artist, as an Ashoka fellow artist, uh, working to end gender-based violence, but also towards the right to be defenseless. And what Blank Noise does is it builds this community. Uh, it's built by a community. We're built by people's lived experiences. We're built by people's and action shiro's testimonials of gender-based violence. And we're built by this kind of collective action, which is on the right to be defenseless, which is really resting on collective labor and it rests on the power of feminist solidarity. So something like the right to be defenseless takes its shape through a public action called Meet to Sleep, where we as women 
sleep in public spaces and we experience in the body, we experience sleep or we claim through the act of sleeping, we claim the right to be defenseless. So it's not me and a few people from the organization who are building this, but rather me as an artist floating this idea, proposing this idea, working with different groups, different feminist networks and asking, does this idea speak to you and how do you make it your own? So it's really built in this kind of collaborative way where it doesn't exist without community. It doesn't ex The idea also doesn't have any meaning unless the community makes it their own. Uh, just mean one thing that really got my attention was when you said the right to be defenseless. It's actually not even rare. It's unheard of to use the term defenseless in a good way, the way you've articulated it. And I know you said blind Blindness is 20 years old, but I feel like your understanding of safety is still very, very new and very novel in the way we talk about, you know, public space. I've never heard anybody else say being defenseless is a good thing. How did you as an artist kind of go through this journey of entering this fight against harassment and this fight for safety? And how did you come up with this idea of defenselessness is a good thing? Thank you for that question. I started from a place of anger. I started from a place of fear 20 years ago. I was afraid to name, to share. I was also afraid in terms of fear led to anger. That my, I noticed that I walked the streets of Bangalore with my elbows out, with a death stare, with mistrust. This lack of community surrounding back then street harassment, the fact that it was seen as just Eve teasing, the fact that it was seen as a non-issue or it was normalized to the extent that we just lived with it. We didn't name it. So over the 20 years, through, through triggering public conversation, through listening to community and with community, I've kind of arrived at defenselessness over the years, right? But because blank noise or the, the nature of this practice has been very much about listening to testimonials, building, to testi building testimonials, giving ourselves the permission to name experiences or name a memory that we had that was just lingering in the body but had no name. So yeah, Blank Noise has been a place where a community has been built through sharing, through speaking, through listening, through speaking when one felt ready to speak, claim, you know, also nudging or calling in that it's really, you know, it's, it's also calling in a community of listeners that we really believe, I really believe that it's an injustice to ask someone to speak if we don't have the capacity to listen. So all of Blind Noise is really rooted in listening. But to answer your question in terms of how did we arrive at defenselessness, half our practice was about building testimonials of gender-based violence. The other half of the practice was about building these public actions on what we desired, what we wished for, you know, the way we were learning to stand idle in public spaces. When we learned that uh, we experienced fear, when we learned that we were taught as women to look down and come home as fast as you can, that's the training so many women in so many parts of the world, not only in India have received that you have a sense of purpose in a public space and you get home as fast as you can. So when we learned to listen to these experiences and share these experiences and connect with these experiences and build a solidarity around these experiences, we also learned to say, okay, what else can we build solidarity with? And that's where, I mean, that question <laughs> was more intuitive than I'm naming it now. 
Um, but we were doing these actions on just learning to stand idle in public spaces back in 2005. We were learning to lean back on our city ratings. We were learning to call the city our city. We were learning to make eye contact. And we were recognizing that we were doing this for the very first time. And in that, we were building a sense of familiarity with the public space, with our city. And familiarity could only foster belonging gradually. And we were coming together when we experienced fear. And also, I mean, in terms of who the we was, it was an evolving and growing we because I was blogging, not realizing that that's where the community was first emerging. And also it kind of, there were many bloggers were mainstream media journalists. So they were also championing the calls to action. And I remember in 2007, we did an online event on our blog called I Wish. And we invited everybody to send in the wishes that they had for their city. And I was so struck by the number of simple responses. Like I wish to get wet in the rain and not have to worry about somebody staring through my clothes. I wish to wear that red lipstick. I wish to walk skipping. And that year, I also took a chance to make a wish. And my wish was to be able to sleep in Cabin Park, in Bangalore's Cabin Park. The next year, a small group of us went to Bangalore's Cabin Park. Each of us, as action sheroes, heroes, had our own unique wishes. Action Shiro Samia said, I want to rest under a tree and read a book. And I'm daring myself. Action Shiro Saraswati sh shared that, you know, she dared herself by sitting on a park bench and stretching and pouting and yawning and snacking alone. And we were all within each other's line of vision. There was Action Shiro Shreyasi who was with me and she said she also wanted to sleep. So we were not too far from each other. Everybody was within each other's line of view. And I tried sleeping. I went equipped with this, with the cushion. And I just went equipped with all these things, with a cushion and a blanket. And I tried to sleep and I couldn't sleep. I tried very hard to sleep and tried hard to close my eyes. And it was the first time I was closing my eyes in a public space, in a park. And in a park that I had frequented in no cup and park. And I couldn't. And I would wake up with the slightest sound to know that it's just a just breeze and the grass or it's just a rustling leaf or it's just a dog and so I kind of lay there thinking about how much fear I had in my body and how much fear so many women in so many parts of the world and in my city carry in our bodies and I was aware of the fear on my back I was aware of the fear and the preparedness in my body and I just lay there thinking about the story of fear that we've inherited I lay there thinking about the fact that there are more of us actually in fear of each other than with the actual intention to harm each other. We've all been told to be careful. But what if we turn that around? What if we recognize that we've all been trained to be careful? So I just lay there imagining what would happen if there were thousands of women sleeping in public spaces out of choice and what would happen to our bodies to experience this. And also what would happen to a public space to see women not anxious, not walking fast, but just still and asleep and vulnerable and that we don't have to be prepared all the time. So a few years later, as we continued working with our fellow action sheroes, it was also a question around 
whose conversations are yet to be heard, whose conversations have we been built by, whose testimonials has Blank Noise been built by, how much does that rest on its location in class and caste privilege and who could then access the blog. So it's led us to work. I mean, it's also led to questions of what is solidarity. And therefore, as an artist, my role is to offer ideas, but the ideas are not coming in isolation. They're coming through listening. And now Meet to Sleep is co-created by multiple feminist groups in the country. And it's also led by feminist leaders like the late Kamla Bhaseen, who would champion the call you know, to action. And it becomes an invitation and for everyone to say, OK, why am I doing this and how do I make it my own? And but also to say, was I able to sleep? Could I really be defenseless? Because it's rejecting. It's rejecting the act of being defenseless is and how I've journeyed there it's like we've been building also the I never ask for it mission which I'll share later as we continue the conversation but with when we've been working to end victim blame since 2003 besides street harassment it's also this deep knowing that no matter how much we prepare she always asked for it is the is the phrase right is the shame that that is projected and is experienced and causes silence and disables us from speaking about and naming these experiences because we know that the environment hasn't been enabling so far and that's what we demand changing and to be defenseless is really to turn that around to say that you know I'm I have the right to be defenseless and I'm never asking for it and we're done defending so yeah that's kind of how we've arrived at that when you say you spoke about holding fear in your body and, you know, it hit me that that's such a default setting for women in general and other marginalized communities in general as well, is that we're kind of trained by everyone around us, well-meaning people around us to hold this fear inside us because whole, living your life being fearful is better than being one of the many, you know, horrifying statistics that we see around us. It's always, okay, but why take the chance? You know, why would you risk it? When you, you know, why would you take a chance? You never know what could happen. And these are things I think all our your friends and mothers and relatives have, you know, told us from your time immemorial. What I want to know is that you've spent now 20 years or odd listening to different women telling these stories. And in your, obviously there are your statistics and research and all of that. But in your personal opinion, what has changed in the last 20 years? Between when you started and today, is there a difference in anything that you're hearing that you think is quite stark? I'm hearing so much more than I did before. Yeah, I'm hearing so much that the fact that we don't know what you're talking about or this hasn't happened to me or I'm not that type of a woman. These were the things I was listening to when I wanted to start this conversation in 2003. I would even hear comments like, how dare you ask me this? Or, but I did, it was very confusing for me then 23, 24 to be like, what did I ask? But now I know that, you know, it took time to also know that it's a difficult question. Not every one of us is ready to sit with it. Or it's been normalized because we're not ready to sit. Yeah, very normalized. And so now I think there is definitely, I'm hearing much more to say that, and that's a good thing. Not that the issue has gotten worse. I, I'm not, I can't speak of that. But what I can speak of is that there are more speakers today or that there are more people asking why. And and we're leading that place of why to what if through collective action that has shifted. And there, I mean, we're also living in a time from 2003 to now where 
not just in India, but all over the world, there have just been so many more initiatives addressing our relationship with public spaces, whether we look at Egypt, whether we look at Hola back then. And I know Emily May is also an Ashoka fellow and with her right to be, I think it's now named right to be. Hola back and Blank Noise also started around the same time. I think they started just a year later. It's great to see that kind of, I mean, also in India with after Jyoti Singh's gang rape and murder, it led to violence against women in public spaces being foregrounded as an issue to work on. And it led to several groups working on, committed to work on violence against women in public spaces, whether it was through reporting or through mapping or through creating similar initiatives. And so there has been an uprising of addressing violence against women in public spaces from it once being just dismissed as eve-teasing. And it continues to be so because it's also, I mean, I also see that in organizations that we've partnered with, associated with when we, uh, for example, there's Korea that has been an ally and a partner organization in building Meet to Sleep. And so many of the organizations, including Korea, they work with partner organizations in rural India to enable this relationship between women and sports and access to public spaces or a relationship public spaces. So this, as I engage with different groups, I see that this relationship with public space, to see ourselves as citizen, to see ourselves claiming a space, to have a relationship with a space, a relationship of leisure and pleasure. And another very important group called, and also the book Why Loiter has also been very, very critical in making this link, right? In making, in propelling this conversation, propelling this idea. So it's a movement. It's a movement in terms of our relationship with public spaces, how we see ourselves as citizens, and where Blank Noise continues to build that. But we also say, okay, how have, how can we be action sheroes, not just on the street, but everywhere? You know, what does it mean to be in learning to walk in my power on the streets? And that's done. And it's not done, but it's like constant work in progress. But then when I'm going home, I'm not quite in my power because I'm dealing with this abusive man I married or at the workplace or on campus. So how do we be in our power everywhere? And what is the relationship between spaces of violence everywhere? And what happens to our own sense of self and identity as we fluidly go through these different spaces? I could be on a bus then I could, uh, in experiencing harassment there, that's not necessarily always been the most enabling environment to report or speak or for a bystander to intervene. Then I could be getting off that bus and going to my workplace or my college campus. And what if I'm queer or what if I'm Muslim in India? Or what if I'm Dalit? How is my identity treated on that campus based or what if somebody is disabled? So, yeah, so I think for blank noise and I mean, in terms of also what's grown, or what's shifted is that when Blank Noise started, it was also knowing and learning. It's like the intention of who's yet to be heard has been clearer. And therefore, that has driven building alliances and that has driven our understanding and our collective understanding of uh, what it is and how should we therefore tackle it or how should we address it. And also victim blame, of course, you know, like when we started, if we didn't name it, then we didn't name blame because we just didn't name it. 
and look at where we are in the world today. I mean, victim blaming is... Yeah, taken on international proportions, I feel. Yeah. And I'm also glad you brought up why loiter. And I was just going to bring that up. And it's it's so eye-opening because actually loiter is still used as a bad word in most contexts. They're not, why are you loitering in the hallway? Why are you loitering here? Why are you loitering there? You know, go do what you're supposed to do. So I think the fact that we've actually started thinking along those lines is pretty revolutionary. I had two questions to you. One is, you've mentioned hero and shiro many times. And it kind of implies a very, like a, a community person-centric approach as like making people action takers and making people change makers. But the problem of women feeling unsafe in public space or other minorities feeling unsafe in public space is a very, very systematic issue, systemic and systematic issue. And for a lot of people, there's a huge sense of helplessness and hopelessness about it. Which is what kind of makes it, you know, so difficult that, okay, yeah, it's a problem, but it's not going to change and we kind of have to learn to live with it or whatever. So how do you kind of tackle that? This, the hopelessness and helplessness that most people come with. Yeah, we also use the term Dero as an identity and that's been in recent years. So action mm-hmm. Shiro, Dero, Hero. We believe that, yes, it is that it's of a vast magnitude, the issue. There are days when all of us may be feeling helpless, but to be reminded that every action counts and every action uh, can also be unique. And each of us from our own unique locations of where we live, where we work, our age, our communities, our strengths and capacities, we can do one little thing every day. To influence, a safe, to influence a safe space. In fact, in 2012 or 2012, 2013, again, after Jyoti Singh's gang rape, it was again in this, in the midst of really large-scale feeling of, or an enveloping feeling or, or an all-encompassing feeling of helplessness and the circle of blame, of blame the system and then blame that system. It was going in circles. We started a campaign that time, very, very spontaneously called the Safe City Pledge. It was, again, completely citizen-led and volunteer action shiro dero hero-led. We said, identify that one thing you can do, that one thing you can do from your role today. I remember a male gynecologist on Twitter taking a pledge. I was very struck by that ownership of location. It could be the professional location. It could be age. It could be the parent. I remember a lot of the women action shiros spoke about, I pledge to fight fear. I pledge to take that last train home. I pledge to walk alone. I pledge to walk whistling. This campaign took place on the 1st of January, where I think it was over 10 cities in India, where different civil society groups and citizens were not necessarily affiliated with books. We met in a public space across these cities and we stood holding these pledges. And then a couple of weeks later, we had this 24-hour tweet-a-thon that was curated by 24 different persons and was this hashtag Safe City Pledge where again, there was just so many pledges where we wanted it to go beyond I will respect women to say, okay, what does respect really mean? So the role that we played there was to facilitate and to again answer your question, when we're feeling helpless, we work to affirm that each and every one of us can do that one small thing. Like very often we've also had cishet men who've expressed interest to contribute and have said, okay, I want to be an action hero and I'd like to volunteer and I want to help a woman's issue. And that's really where our work has begun to say that, is this really a woman's issue or to have that the the actionable? And what I'm trying to say here is that the actionable is both inward and outward. 
And so between the inward and outward, there is something that will enable this feeling of I'm able to contribute. Just like conversations where somebody's come in to volunteer and I want to help a woman's issue versus taking it as your issue to also say who has the meal at home first and who has the meal at home last. So really allowing a journey inside and it's not like an easy answer. I guess the other thing I feel that it's important to bring in here is that we affirm that each of us has the ability to also be a listener and that listening is an action and that listening is crucial in terms of having empathy and building empathy. But we're also working on ideas of listening as the burden of listening. What happens to us when we listen and carrying somebody's trauma is also not we're asking it's not something that we want to transfer the burden in any way, but to share the responsibility of gender-based violence. So, yeah, we, we kind of work to affirm that every one of us can do something and that it's not an easy, actionable, but it can be an everyday actionable on our own terms. So to measure our pace, also as if I speak specifically in the context of listening, we can also say we, have, we can practice boundaries when listening and we can step away from listening. But... So it's to keep that sense of responsibility alive and whether it's being aware, being self-aware of who's eating the meal first and who's eating the meal last and now how do I want to act or saying, can I be an action hero listener or an action hero or hero listener? It's also to be able to say, okay, you don't have to carry all of that burden on you, but it's shared and you can practice boundaries. So it's work in progress. I'm speaking and I'm reflecting also on our recent interventions where citizens and fellow action heroes, heroes, heroes walked around the streets of Bangalore carrying these garment testimonials on their shoulders and what they experienced. They felt definitely a sense of purpose. They felt definitely the sense of I'm contributing to ending gender-based violence and I'm contributing to end victim blame. But they also carried the sense of heaviness in their hearts and how to work and manage that. So there was definitely a sense of purpose and fulfillment. So these are things that we're working with and through. What I've been told by others, <laughs> and especially others in terms of, like I'm thinking of someone like Srilata Bhattivada, who's who studied feminist movements and contributed to them, and somebody who I consult with and who advises at Blank Noises. One of the things she said was that it offers, what Blank Noise does is it offers different ways in which somebody can engage, right? It's not one specific project, but there are different projects. So that's another way, I guess, I could answer your question, where it's not go show up with a placard or it's not show up at a court, but there are different ways of engagement. And maybe that also shifts and shakes up how we can feel less helpless, but feel like the opposite of helplessness is being taking action and being able to take action and being that action hero, 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 hero and taking agency. So it's a great answer. I have one last question for you. It's a pretty complicated one as well. I don't expect you'll have a very easy answer to this one either. And that is you've designed Blindness to be a collective of women, right? A collective of voices would be more accurate. But the truth of the matter is, and you probably know the study very well because you've worked in the space for 20 years. Seminism is not a group of single-mindedly focused women singing Kumbaya. There's a lot of complexities and divisions within what we call the feminist movement. In India, we have Savarna feminists often overlook, are ignorant of, or, you know, sideline the issues that Dalit women face. 
Um, white feminists, the same thing happens with race. We also don't really look at class. And on top of all these divisions, we also have public space, women in public space being a radically political concept because there is a clear, clear division in how, you know, the Nirbhaya rape case was perceived versus the Hathras rape case was perceived versus the Bilkis Bano case was perceived. And this is because there are a lot of intersections and socio-political complexities involved in women in public space. There's also discussion now from a lot of corners of the feminist movement that women don't feel comfortable when trans women are in their space, which, you know, I don't personally agree with, but that is a pretty strong voice that comes across from that corner as well. And so we're not a united movement, we're a very, very divided movement. How do you kind of get over these divisions and learn to listen to each other in a way that's productive, but also not encouraging the exclusion of one group from the movement. Like, do you see a way forward where we can advocate for everybody to be safe in public space without saying, okay, this group of people is, doesn't matter to us, so we're not going to look at them. What is the way forward for that? I think that's a great, great question. And I think that's really where the work lies, right? Like it's not just in saying, hi, here's me with a box of ideas, take it. But in really in being genuinely inquiring about how this idea speaks to X and Y and what their location is. And also not just assuming that from a, you know, glass box kind of approach, but really working to build that relationship and that relationship are nonlinear relationships are messy, relationships are laborious, relationships are living, all of that. To not assume the solidarity, but to work on it and to show up in different ways, but also be who you are. If you're an introverted change maker, you have something else, you know, another way of showing up that's valid as well. We all have different forms of engagement and different ways of engagement that are a part of our authentic selves also. So to honor that while also recognizing our own location and be willing to commit to that kind of labor. It's taken me a long time. When I started out, I was not aware of all my locations. I, I just came from experience, direct experience and art, which I, I didn't like study anthropology and sociology and learn these things. That way I learned through community and I learned through critique and I learned through questions and I learned through absence and noticing invisibility even within the groups or the even within the voices that comprised an understanding and learning to question that and leading and that, you know, that leading the next step. So it's really being in touch with what there is and where we want to go because it is about everybody's freedom. I won't even say safety. It's about every person's dignity. It's about every person's safety. It's an, And especially in a time like right now in our country, it's about learning for me to learn to say I'm non-Dalit, for me to learn to say I'm non-Muslim and to hold that with some responsibility and accountability of what does it mean. It's something that I'm still learning. And I don't have the perfect answer, but I'm working with that awareness that I'm not assuming a solidarity and it's not enough to just use the word solidarity and that it's messy, tough work. And it has to address on listening. Yeah, I think working on it is kind of the best anybody can do. And I think it's all you can expect from anyone as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality of it. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad reality. I think it's just the truth. And I think it's great that people like you 
are putting in the work to build solidarity the hard way. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a super engaging conversation for me and I hope it's been an insightful one for the audience as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this episode inspired you on your change maker journey. Together, we are creating a world where everyone can be a change maker.